Welcome to Comfortable Place on the Couch, a short-run podcast exploring every Midnight Oil album in the year of their Great Circle Tour. My name is Darren Folds, and in the upcoming months I'll be spinning every Midnight Oil album from my comfortable couch, as well as taking a listen to some of their EPs, live recordings, and video releases. Joining me each episode is my long-suffering friend and fellow Midnight Oil enthusiast, Robin Harbin. Robin, did you know that when dolphins sleep, only half of their brains shut off? Cool. How are you doing, Mr. Harbrin? I'm doing okay. Thank you, Mr. Folds. We're listening to Blue Sky Mining. We are sitting on the couches in the sunroom on a overcast Ontario evening. Not a sunny day. Nope. In the sunroom. We've just been listening to 1990s Blue Sky Mining. What do you think we're going to be talking about this episode? Well, we've got the usual bass and drum talk. Oh. I'm getting that over with right away, so you don't (laughs) question me about it. Um, This is the second album that we experienced together. Yes. Uh, And the first one that we experienced as a new release together. Yes, that's right. It was, we got it right when it came out. So there may be a story or two. I think notably, this is when you and I were both... uh, becoming very amateur musicians and uh about when we first got our acoustic guitars mm-hmm. and i happened to get the songbook for blue sky mining oh really uh right about the same time so this was a very formative album for me i think we i might have something special to share oh excellent from from that angle cool and this also marks the arrival of Bones. Yes. The some by the by the hardcore Midnight Oil fan, the much maligned Bones Hillman. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think people give him too much of a hard time, do they? Compared to any other member yeah, ever eh? of Midnight Oil, Bones seems to get the hard time. And I'm coming to Bones' defense. Good. <laughs> I like Bones. We like Bones. We are Bones fans. Yeah. Shall we just get into it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> now we can move on. <laughs> Let's get to it. We have business arising from past episodes. Do we ever? Did you take note this time? Oh, I still was slack about it, but I can remember some of them. All right. Well, I- Grant Tresseter sent us some really neat information on point the finger, yeah, point the bone. Yeah, and our good buddy Andrew Shakespeare had also sent that to me uh, uh, privately in a private message. Yes. Uh, so yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, so this is, this is some um, Aboriginal spirituality. It's like a curse. It's a curse, yeah. 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 And it sounds like a curse you better be careful with, too. Because mm-hmm, yeah. it could rebound on you. It sure could. So... Yeah, so Point the Bone has this uh, other angle to it. I was just thinking of people turn to skeletons and Freddy Krueger and silly stuff like that. And Ronald Reagan in the and Ronald Reagan. Flash. <laughs> I, I still like that a lot. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's obviously got a very uh, uh, specific meaning that, 
that the oils would, would have been well aware of. Yeah. Also, a few people told us, including, oh, I, I, I wish I could say his name correctly, Lash and Kirk. Right. About uh, the Dead Heart 12-inch single. Yeah. And how it actually is a different uh, version than what we get on the album for Diesel and Dust. Yeah. So it's a full six minutes, depending on what you look at, six minutes, eight seconds, six minutes, ten seconds. So it's got like a whole different intro, not a different intro, but an extended intro. Basically, it's it's the full version. They chopped it down to put it on the album. Okay. So got to get our hands on on a copy of that now. Got to find that, definitely. To complete the collection. Yes. Yeah. What do you have? A few people... Uh pointed out that you had kept cutting me off uh, I while I was attempting. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I had this really cool purple <laughs> kangaroo sweater. Mad. Yeah. So what I was getting around to saying is that my, my sister and I climbed Uluru in 87. And I don't think I explained that there was no inkling that, that this was uh, a frowned upon practice right. or at all offensive sure. to, to the, um, the original owners, uh, yeah, of, of, of the area. Um, so we climbed it, uh, later on, I heard that, you know, that, that, that's definitely frowned upon mm. and it's, it's like a, a sacred ground and people just climbing up it, um, so I, yeah, I guess I want to say uh, that, yeah, that I want to emphasize that I didn't mm-hmm. do it lightly. Now, now when I was up there, uh, it was, it felt somewhat spiritual. It felt mm. like, uh, I, I felt, certainly felt, I couldn't help but feel respect for the place. Yep. And uh, just uh, being very connected to, to the earth, to, uh, to, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so. I want to say that, and then also that now uh, it's interesting, uh, even if Midnight Oil didn't specifically call out this issue, I think this album was part of the national conversation going on in Australia okay, that made sure. people aware yeah. that, you know, the the indigenous people, you know, they they've they were there for a long time before, um, and part of giving the land back uh, also means you know respecting their their traditions and their wishes. Yep. So that's something I think this is, here's a practical change that's happened in Australia is that people have become aware of yeah. of uh, this this general concept. Boy, respecting other people and you know trying to <laughs> trying to honor each other. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I want to say that. Yeah, that's good. There's much more to the Cloudland Ballroom than we discussed in our. Our talk about Dream World. Yes. The fact that it was a venue that the Oils played at. In the late 70s, early 80s. Yep. And, and one day. And that overnight, it got torn down. Yeah, despite being a, like a, a heritage building. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it was like city council and a particular contractor yep. uh, in Brisbane. Interestingly, our good friend Andrew Shakespeare yeah. could see the place from, from his where be- he was living from his bedroom window. He wakes up one morning. Wakes up one morning and it's gone. What's the lyric? The sun comes up and we all learn. learn. Those wheels Those must turn. Change. The yeah. sun came up for Andrew. Sure did. So that goodbye, a very, a very personal. Uh, yeah, yeah. So no wonder people were wanting to tell us the whole story about yeah. that one. Wow. Yeah, and it's it's good. 
don't think that we don't like hearing this stuff. Oh, it's, yeah. it's good to learn the whole story. And, and we say on every episode now, we're not experts. We don't know things. <laughs> we know you're not coming here to learn the truth. <laughs> I feel like we're missing something else, but that's okay. That's how it goes. Because as we're recording this, we I haven't even managed to get part two of Diesel and Dust out. Right. So I'm sure we're going to have more Diesel and Dust We'll get another chance. We'll get another chance. For <laughs> we'll people be in to Earth, Sun, and Moon, and we'll still be talking about the mistakes we made. Mistakes we made. Yeah. So. Let's give Blue Sky Mining a quick listen. All right. So, coming off of the massive success of Diesel and Dust, yes, Midnight Oil takes a little bit of time off touring. Well, they tour for Diesel and Dust. They take a little bit of time off. Yeah, I think they might have even toured twice for Diesel and Dust, from what I've heard. Yeah, that's that sounds right. And then in 1989, they hit the studios in Sydney to record the next album, which becomes Blue Sky Mining. Mm-hmm. They bring Warren Livesey along again to produce. Yeah, so you think that was just a, a safe, pra- pragmatic choice? Boy, that guy delivered some big hits. Well, that's the thing, right? A yeah. lot of pressure to... To at least equal, if yeah. not exceed, the previous album. Yeah. yeah, so if Warren did such a great job with Diesel, bring him back bring on him board. Back. Yeah. yeah, that's what they must have been thinking. They produced a successful album out of it. I, I don't think it quite reached the heights of Diesel and Dust, Yeah, but certainly nothing to turn your nose up at that's right it was still still a big hit um but overall i uh, didn't do quite as well maybe i think i've heard like on the order of two-thirds 
the record sales that okay. have Diesel and Dust or yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know, okay. Still got them a lot of awards. Yeah. In 91, they won the Area Best Group Award, Best Album of the Year, a number of other awards there. And apparently Gary Morris, sixth member of the band, yes. their manager, he gave the acceptance speech, went on for about 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I heard about that. Oh, yeah. The mention of Gary Morris reminds me, um, when I was reading the liner notes on my Blue Sky Mining CD, it was amusing that he's credited, uh, you know, there's Bones Hillman with bass and singing and so on. Uh, Peter Garrett is credited as the singer. The singer. Yeah, just singer. Kind of funny. Oh, and it doesn't say harmonica. Yeah. What's with that? Come on. But anyway, Gary Morris was credited with business, as he sometimes is, but also tuning <laughs> with an exclamation mark. Tuning. <laughs> Bang. Yeah, he tuned the guitars, I guess. I don't know. Um, I bet he didn't. You bet he didn't? I bet you Jim tunes his own guitars. Yeah, and to me, a departure, even though this isn't hilarious stuff, they're actually making slight jokes here in the credits, because after that tuning... Can I call that a joke? You sure. Know, it's a, yeah. sure. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, Disco. They also mentioned uh, Michael Lippold. Produ- yeah, yeah. Production manager, definitely no singing. So. <laughs> and Michael, he he's a longtime road crew, or is he like front of the house sound? I, I remember Michael was was instrumental on the Blackfellow Whitefellow tour, like reading through strict role, rules. Uh, Michael's they're doing everything for and with the band yeah right on so yeah production manager so yeah he's okay he's the guy making making that kind of stuff happen yeah Make, i guess even the road that i mean like when he's do, they're doing shows yeah and, i think i think so. so on yeah I, I guess we should talk for a moment about the arrival of bones hillman yeah let's do wayne stevens wayne stevens that's great how both of his names are totally made up yeah so um, there was a little bit of a connection way back in in the day right head injuries tour he yeah. had met the band. You'd well, he had heard the band. Heard the band because they were loud. Yeah, so he remembered them, but they had no idea who he was at the time. At the time, yeah. but now through mutual friends in we should look it up, crowded right. house or split ends, whatever yeah, they were at the time. Yeah, there's this quote from Rob about how um, Bones is kind of three things when they decide to hire him. He's one third bass player, yep. one th- one third. Uh, singer the golden tones the golden tone and apparently he never hits a wrong note kind of thing that's mm-hmm. what according to rob and then one third just kind of goofy guy yeah and uh who does quite a bit for the morale and not taking themselves overly seriously you could tell giffo's a very intense uh intense guy all the guys in the band were mm-hmm. uh so bringing bones in uh i think rob credits bones really helping the longevity of the whole band by helping them to look on the bright side or not just the bright, helping them look, just take it easy and not always be so serious. And I kind of wonder if this, these tiny little jokes in the credits are the beginning of Bones' influence. Mm. I don't think you'd ever see any kind of hint of humor. And I think especially at this point of their career, everyone was like super serious about getting this album done right and yeah. probably feeling a lot of pressure for it. Yeah. I, yeah. I bet you it totally is Bones. Yeah. Just joking around. Yeah. And then it's also interesting that they did thank uh, Giffo. Uh, thanks to Giffo for input. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he had something to say. He did. 
So it'd be so, interesting to know what that was. So never, basically the band heard about Bones, they called him up, and apparently Bones ignored the first call from Rob. Yep. I think he was just a joke or something. And then Rob called back again and said, uh, <laughs> This is Rob Hurst. This really is Rob Hurst from Ned Oil. We'd we're, really <laughs> like to talk to you about yeah. playing with us. So apparently he came over like three times, yep. uh, and they gave him the run and then told him he was in uh, at least temporarily yeah so he he did some of the diesel and dust touring of course yeah and it was it was just like with giffo it was like like a coming out on tour with us we'll give you a trial we'll see how it goes see how you like it see how we like you yeah and stuck around and something we just learned on the powder workers uh facebook group recently you would think that bones first time recording with the oils would have been blue sky mining but but the b-side of uh, put down that weapon. Put down that weapon, and on the B side is what's so funny. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Speaking of guys with pseudonyms, yes, Declan McManus. Oh yeah, Elvis Costello. Well, that's Elvis Costello. Yeah, yeah, and he's the original. Um, no, he did a he, cover of he it. He did also. a cover of it and made it popular. Yeah. So anyway, that that is Bones in the studio, and there was some de- debate. But in this modern age. We think, oh, who could settle this argument? Yeah. Oh, I bet Giffo could. So you talk to Giffo's brother, yep. John Gifford. Yeah. Right. So John's got his brother on the phone and he's like, well, where was that record? Was that at Rhino or was it at, anyway, the Diesel Studio? Was that the Diesel Studio or was it at Rhino where Blue Sky Mining was recorded? And basically, well, that decides it. Like basically Giffo never recorded at Rhino. Okay. That's enough of that. Enough of that. Um, can we talk more about the album? Yeah, let's talk about the album. So I think there's a a return to a lot of things on this album. Mm-hmm. Even, even though, okay, th- this is another album that longtime fans who enjoy the whole catalog yep. of Midnight Oil, uh, especially the early, they might not like this out Diesel. And if they're sick of another album... What's wrong with them? Maybe it's Blue Sky Mining. Well, maybe I'm one of those people who... Don't show your hand too early, Robin. Who... Well, no, no, I'm not giving away. I, but I love all Midnight Oil albums. Do you even like Midnight Oil? At least once per episode, we have to say that. So while I was listening to the album closely, I realized, hey, they did go back in time somewhat on this album. Yep. So I'll, I'll tell you something. You tell me if there's some other things. Okay. I think there's more guitars again than Diesel had. Yeah, more more, more electric. electric. Yeah, definitely. more electric guitars. However, it's still got that that sing along quality. That's right. Yeah, and they didn't bring back a lot uh, distorted guitars. No, but they did bring the electric guitars yeah, back no much more prominent. Blistering solos. Yeah, it's still. Yeah, although Blossom is your last good one. Yeah, although it does seem that more solos have returned, but yes, again, not blistering. If that's what. Even by distorted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the return of the rant. Yes. Yeah, Garrett's that's got, right. Uh, a few rants on this album. At least two. Yeah, maybe I, I can th- think of a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of key changes. There are key changes. Ahoy. <laughs> Ahoy. <laughs> there are key changes aplenty. I'm keeping Ahoy. <laughs> Ahoy. There's more screams again. Yes. The screams are back. There are more strings and arrangements that almost are like 10 to 1 at times. Mm. And this whole album, I would argue, 
is trying to get back to 10 to 1, but it never really gets there. It's staying... Okay, so anyway, this is oh, yeah. kind of a thing. You, you kind of feel this I, too. I, I can definitely agree with those things. Yeah. So, but, but maybe if we're going to say where they went wrong according to certain tastes, yeah, maybe it was not enough fast songs. Am I going to have myself too much here? No. The, the down tempo... Can I can I give you a quote from rock. Pete Garrett? Yeah, go for it, please. So Rob Rob tells a story in the Mark Dodson book there about um, Pete coming into the studio very unhappy with how this album was coming together. They took about six months to record this album, and way into the recording process, Pete comes in and says, "You know, there's a lot of slow to mid tempo songs, and it does not seem to have the urgency that we require in this album." Uh, there wasn't one song that summed up what we were doing or what the album was about. So in addition to the, the pacing of the songs, yeah. there was some heavy disagreement about, you know, whether this, whether they were doing it right at all. Yeah. And did that get resolved in any way? Did they deal with? Well, I think what happened was they had this big band meeting around this time. Um, and these concerns were brought up. Pete, at one point, actually, at this point, he wanted to call the album off and start again. Actually, Rob, at the time that Mark Dodson interviewed him for his book, Rob agreed in retrospect. Rob was saying, yeah, we probably should have stopped what we were doing with Blue Sky Mining and done something different. Wow. Yeah. But your question was, did anything happen because of this? Yeah. Um, and yeah, they decide, okay, we've really got to to get some uh, more up-tempo hit type things going on. From this meeting, they really put a lot of effort into King of the Mountain and built yeah. that up into the song that it is. And Blue Sky Mining? And Blue Sky Blue Mining. Blue Sky Mine. Blue Sorry. Sky Mine, yeah, that's right. Um, was put together, was cobbled together from lots of old stuff, apparently, even. Yeah, th- I, I seem to remember um, Bear yeah. saying that he had all these old tapes, him and Jim put together these demos yeah and i think uh blue sky mine bits of it were from even from one of these I, old demo yeah, tapes i would suspect that would be true um what i was reading was you know a 12 year old song fragment called drought was reworked but i think it might have been a rob maybe rob lyrics jim music yeah um was reworked into this other song called jacob's ladder which was reworked into eventually blue sky mine wow yeah very late addition to the album, but yeah. um, so can you imagine this album without Blue Sky Mine and King of the Mountain? I wouldn't want to. <laughs> what a, what a downer it would be! Like yeah, uh, as far as <laughs> yeah, would we have gotten Capricornia? Wow, would they have lasted that long? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are there three fast songs on this? Is it Blue Sky Mine, King of the Mountain, King of the Mountain, uh, Forgotten Years? Not forget the Forgotten Years. The Forgotten Years. The singles from the album were Blue Sky Mine, Yeah. then Forgotten Years came out. Blue Sky Mine came out, made it to number one on the U.S. charts, on the uh, modern rock charts or whatever, number seven in Canada, number eight in Australia. Uh, Forgotten Years was their second single, again another number one in the States. Only made it to 26 in Australia. Yeah, so, so when we're saying that this wasn't, this didn't reach the heights of Diesel and Dust... It's interesting. The singles did yeah. very well in the U.S. More so than more so than Diesel. Diesel. Yeah. yeah, like Beds Are Burning never got to number one. No. 
So Bedlam Bridge was a, a third single. Yeah. Um, and then King of the Mountain and One Country. Oh, it was only a single in Australia. I guess Stars of Orbiton mm-hmm. are is a bit more upbeat, but yeah. But overall, you got a lot of slow to mid-tempo mid, songs. Mid-tempo songs. You know, if I was a tall, bald lead singer, <laughs> I might be concerned as well. <laughs> Pete wasn't around a lot for for the recording either. Uh-huh. Uh, he had, he had kind of he was busy doing other things, and at one point, Jim gave him a call and said, "You know, Pete, we need you in here. We need." you to be participating in things. And he came back to the to the recording process and mentioned that he wasn't happy with the tempo of things, but he wanted the band to go hard and go wild. And so when, when he came back into the studio after, I think they kind of were able to kick out some of the more up-tempo songs and, and bring some more energy to the album. Let me throw you a couple more quotes. Warren says about Bones, he's perhaps slightly more melodic in his bass playing mm-hmm. than Gifford was. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I can cite some examples later. I think, but Bones kind of has two, two main modes, and he's got the driving eighth beat thing, right? And then he's got this quite melodic side, too, which uh, you know also carries through to his vocals. Let me read you a quote from Gary Morris. I think everyone started to get a bit too precious about the band. They were trying to find these us against the world and us against the system, the underdog and all the injustices type songs. The band was trying to come up with a formula for what the next record would become. Therefore, Blue Sky Mining had to have all these themes and the band had to do all these things that had social comment to them. And in some respects, they tried to manufacture what he calls a yang moment when in actual fact it was turning out to be a yin moment a lack of genuineness maybe like try trying too hard yeah yeah i think feeling the weight of the success of diesel and yeah just really working at trying to crank out hits again or at least not if not trying to crank out hits i don't know if they're trying to crank out trying hits. to crank out oils yeah type yeah, music beca- it's like they become a now they really knew what, hey, this is what we're about. Yeah. And let's... <laughs> we're issues-based. We are issues for sure. Yeah. And let's find a bunch of issues. One other thing. It seems that when they received um, success in the States, that uh, the American record execs really wanted to start controlling the track listings of the albums, uh, what songs went to radio, when singles were being released and stuff like that. Which is not the oil's way. Not the oil's way. That's right. So yeah, I, I hope we're not sounding too down on this album. I, yeah, well, I think we are, but we are. <laughs> but hang in there, listener. We do like a lot of. We've got what, good stuff to talk here. about next. Yeah, um, I do want to talk just briefly more about Warren Livesey. I think a lot of bass loving uh, Midnight Oil fans would agree that Diesel and Dust what was a very tame. I don't know if I fully explained or explored this. But uh, Giffo, perhaps Giffo's playing on Diesel was at its least unique. Mm. There are lots of iconic bass lines and stuff, but it wasn't Giffo style. It was, whether it was the Beds Are Burning bass line, um, now, I, you know, people now would know like how much I love Gun Barrel Highway on that. Yep. That was Giffo at... Doing Giffo. Doing Giffo. Almost the whole rest of the album was just it could be any bass player now it's funny so so giffo goes out he's saying he he thinks it's their their best work together interestingly yeah yeah. 
and yet as far as unique Giffo bass lines it definitely wasn't the, the album for that okay so that was under producer Warren Warren Livesey was it Warren's fault hmm then we go new bass player Bones yep same producer yep and I think he also has to somewhat scale back his playing for this new album okay longtime fans listen to it they've forgiven Giffo or forgotten that Giffo's Diesel and Dust contributions weren't all that special. Yeah. And then they hear Bones playing on the new album, and the bass is also turned down. Yep. It's also arguably a bit simpler or, or whatever. And Bones gets a bad right. Bones isn't a good bass player because... Mm. Sure. But was it really just uh, the studio situation that, that caused that? This is kind of my theory. Yep. Throwing it out there. Sure. And uh, I think That's worth Bones really comes into his own on Earth, Sun, and Moon next, mm. next album. Uh, and just like a lot of Giffo's great best work was before Diesel and uh, pre-Warn, yep. Bones' best work is post-Warn. Hmm. So something to, something to think about. Something to think about and listen for as we yeah. march forward. Let's start talking about the songs. Here we go. Sky Mine. My sons have different opinions about this song. My older son, my seven-year-old, likes this song a lot until the harmonica starts coming in. Oh. He's not a fan of it. He can't name it. What don't you like about it? I don't like that sound. What kind of sound? You know, that long tube. <laughs> the long tube sound. Yeah. The harmonica? That's it. You sure he's not talking about the didgeridoo? There's no didgeridoo on that song, <laughs> but it's a long tube. It is a long tube. Yep. Uh, my five-year-old, he likes the harmonica. Right on. He's really digging the harmonica. Now there's a guy. Yeah. And I dig the harmonica too. Yeah. It's nice to hear Pete pulling out the harp again, because we didn't get any on, on Diesel and Dust, you were saying. And how about even on Red Sails? I think maybe we haven't heard the harmonica since Postcard. Mm. Wow. Well, I'm glad to hear it again. Yeah, I am too. So there's that big riff, uh, but before that, there's this uh, that this guitar riff. Yeah, with the with the tight, not the tight delay, but with the great delay. Yeah, yeah I don't great know. Great delay. Yeah, it's, it's just really iconic. Yeah, yeah. Now, interestingly, this song starts in E flat minor. Oh no! What guitar player ever wants to play an E flat minor or a or, bass player or even E flat? Yeah, yeah. E flat is particularly Unguitar friendly because the lowest note on a guitar or a regular four string bass yep. is E. When so, I play bass, yes, and I've got a, a really good guy who who sets up my charts for me when I play bass. He does it with sharps, yeah. not with flats. Okay, <laughs> just for me, just for you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the thing. E flat minor is a dist- a very not guitar based key. I'm not sure about this, but I kind of think that the riff from Blue Sky Mining and the riff from Progress are kind of similar. Interestingly, if you look up uh, the chords or if you get the songbook for Blue Sky Mine, it's it's like it's written in D minor, even though the actual recording is is like E flat minor. It's yep. up a semitone. I kind of wonder if Jim started playing this and started thinking this is kind of like Progress. 
and it's in D minor, the same as progress. I better do something. I've got to do something about this. So he just slapped a capo on and brought everything up. You yeah. Know, or, or maybe they sped it up or something. But I I sort of wonder if, if that was the thinking. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. This song was credited to basically the whole band. Garrett, Hurst, Hillman, Magini, and Rotzi. Yeah, even the Hillman o- gets a credit. Yeah, and uh, that's the only credit Hillman gets mm-hmm. on the album. But that speaks to how this song came together again. Uh, we were talking about how it, it came from a, a couple of um, this really old gym song, cobbled together, went through a few different iterations. They were doing a lot of writing in the studio. Everyone really kind of collaborating to, to make the the single that they need, the that fast, up-tempo song that Pete was was saying we got to have on this album so the whole band gets the rating or the the credits on this song. yeah it'd be interesting to know uh what bones and martin's contributions were to it but yeah maybe they came up with like the middle bridge or maybe they came up with mm-hmm. you know and something that i read as well that's interesting is that the credits that we read on the album are not necessarily the credits that the band uses when they're divvying up royalties Ah, so okay. sometimes they like to, you know, say credited to the whole band here. Yeah. Or whatever kind of credits you get on the album isn't necessarily how they're getting paid. Yeah. And I think Giffo alluded to that, that even though Giffo is very rarely or never credited, mm-hmm. is he given any writing credits on all those, on any of the albums? Giffo alluded to the idea that he was, he is given a small portion based on a songwriting credit even though yeah yeah so yeah if even if his name never appears it's like the rest of the band says well we're still giving giffo five percent or i don't know what it is yeah uh some amount and presumably they did that for bones as well yeah Yeah. um just as being a, a way of being a bit more fair yeah in how all the royalty stuff works and when you're in the studio recording you're doing your bits you you bring your signature way of playing sometimes yeah. like even if the producer is saying no no don't do that yeah you know you're doing your thing and yeah but that's right like you, a, you contribute to the song regardless of whether or not you're like writing the chords and the lyrics and arranging and stuff like that that's right it, there's a certain amount of uh like a bass player or a drummer or whatever even though it's just like well just play your instrument yeah even here's here's the song yeah, you're right. They still bring their personality, yeah. and, and they're still doing a bit of writing, a bit of arrangement. Yeah, sure. Even within their own part, and sometimes it's really significant. Uh, oh yeah. Somebody will come up with a, a baseline. Now I've read that sometimes Jim shows up and says, "Here's your baseline." Okay. Um, at least for this part. Okay. This song also has uh, the return of the organ, uh, some pretty funky organ mm-hmm. on it. The chorus also does that leading tone trick that beds are burning i think we mentioned how it has this leading tone meaning the note right before the root Mm -hmm. gets emphasized and then it moves up and tell me why if i yell okay kind of leads you into it yeah it's it's just really emphasizing that leading tone it just gets its moment yeah uh and both both songs use that trick uh, lots of anticipation in it. Mm-hmm. A couple other things. As much as some people say these are these simple campfire songs, these strummy songs, yep. 
the thing is that it's actually swi switching like the chorus of Blue Sky Maya is an E flat minor or D minor if you're playing without the capo but then the verses are in D flat major so it's this song and almost every song on this album hmm. changes keys for the chorus and for the verse right on and which is just not a thing that most pop songs do and you know it's uh, we talk about having these three, four chords, these simple yeah. songs, tons of the songs, and presumably Jim's got a credit on the majority. Yeah, two songs on the album, Bedlam and Mountains of Burma, that are Rob Hurst songs. And those are the only songs that uh, Jim doesn't have a credit on. Okay, yeah, I would totally believe that. Yeah. And then just the ending of the song, uh, there's a guitar, an actual guitar solo. This is definitely the return of guitar solos. So yeah, it's it's a guitar solo, but right. it's a more subdued guitar solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a subdued guitar solo. And, but it sets up for the harmonica solo. Yeah. And it's interesting. There's this pretty crazy guitar effect. It's like this phased guitar going on. And the bass drops right out for that whole harmonica solo. It gives it such a different mood. <music> then the organ comes back. It's almost like a gospel song. It sounds like a big church organ yep. uh, for that ending part of In the End, The Rain Comes Down. Yeah. The end. Yeah. And it's almost like salvation. This is actually, a, yeah. a, compared to a lot of Oil's songs, it, it kind of ends up with a happy Yeah, it's got like a happy, end. yeah, happy-ish yeah. ending. <laughs> so let's talk about what the song's about maybe then, and we can talk about how this is kind of a happy-ish ending. Yeah. So the Whitnum Mine Tragedy mm -hmm. between 1948 and 1966 hundreds and hundreds close to a thousand people working in in this mine asbestos mine asbestos mine yeah lung cancer as a result of it my type of blood cancer perhaps well, yeah. wow. almost i i was looking at the numbers almost a thousand people had either died at the time of this article was written or were projected to die because of the mismanagement of this mine so Jim and Pete, I think Jim suggested Pete, you know, you should read this book. I think it's called Blue Murder. I was trying to actually find an e-book copy of it to read, but wasn't able to get it anywhere or yeah. find it to read, read what it was about. Uh, you don't need to read the book to, to see the tragedy of this. So, so kind of the song starts, you know, with the, the whole contrast of, you know, good times. You got pay in your pocket. You've got food on the table. These are good things. Got a good job, taking care of your family. But the flip side is, you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah, this is a real return to storytelling. Yeah. Uh, this song uh, really sets the scene, uh, sets up these, we don't know the individual people, but it really sets up, uh, here's a guy, here's his family, here's, yeah, yep. the, the working man. But the song ends, like you were mentioning a couple minutes ago, with kind of this happy ending almost, right? Yeah. The lyrics at the end of the song, in the end, the rain comes down, washes clean the streets of the blue sky town. There is the hope at the end of the song because justice was brought to the company. Settlements were made with families. You cannot pay to bring somebody back. But uh, the, the person who was talking about this in the book was saying, you know, in the end, 
if everyone does the right thing, there can be a future. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I yeah, thought so maybe it, that's kind of the, the happy-ish ending that you were seeing. Yeah, like people still lost their health and their lives, but if at least the victims or the family of the victims mm-hmm. receive some restitution rather than the company just getting away yeah. with it, yep. then that's at least, that's better. Yeah. Big hit. Very yes. likable song. Yeah. So it's interesting how it opens just with the snare hitting, yep. right? It's just this snare yep. beat. And in the video, I believe this is the one with Rob and his cocktail kit. Was it a cocktail kit or is it just like, just a snare? Maybe just a snare and a cymbal just out on that flat or whatever it was. Maybe it was just, just that. But I, I remember, I thought this was the motivation for you in the early 90s. I think it really was. Really wanting a cocktail kit. And you're like... Yeah. Yeah, and at the time... Or, or at least, like, when I started... Liking that simplicity? Yeah, totally. Because when we first started playing together, trying to do our rock and roll type thing, yeah. that's all I had. I had my snare, I had a cymbal, and if I was lucky, I would <laughs> stomp, or I would put a tambourine on my foot or something like yeah. that, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. total. Yeah, and so I, I remember that being a motivation. I was wanting to be more rock and roll. I wanted you to buy, like, a huge kit yeah. with a kick drum and make all kinds of noise. But you were finding some solace, I think, in seeing Rob. <laughs> yeah. Even though on the song, of course, he is oh, playing yeah, a full kit. Totally. Yeah. But in the video. In the video, he was just playing a snare. And you and were I got like, myself my uh, muscle shirt. A singlet yes. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I never wore one of those. <laughs> Actually, I did. I had a pink one. You oh, had a pink singlet. Yeah, sing- I remember well, this. But, but I had a pink singlet. Did we both have them? Mine. Do you remember Rude Dog? <laughs> Yeah. I think I might have had a pink rude dog muscle shirt. I never had any muscles to go along with it. (laughs) You may have had some muscles in high school. For a while, yeah. 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 You like this song? Yeah, I I like the song. It's got, I like all the bits it has to it. Yeah. Yeah, the combination. It's between the harmonica and the organ and the cool uh, different rhythmic guitar effects and all the variety. It's actually got. It's got a pretty good bass line and it yeah. is quite a melodic bass line. Yeah. I can't help but like, oh, yeah. like the song and yeah. good storytelling yeah. and yeah. yeah, it's yeah. it's a deserved hit. I concur. Stars of Warburton. When I first started thinking about this song in prep for the podcast, I was wondering, is this something that didn't make it onto Diesel and Dust maybe? Warburton being one of the communities I think they visited, right? I believe so, yeah. Along the Gun Barrel Highway? Probably. Yeah, Yeah. I think. After listening to it a few times, I'm not sure that it's left over from Diesel and Dust. I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering, oh, I wonder if maybe, you know, these are just a few different song fragments pulled together and images pulled together, and this one just happened to be something that they pulled out of their their Blackfellow Whitefellow tour. But it it does do a, a neat job of contrasting the modern inside world with the rural open sky type thing that they probably experienced on the Blackfellow Whitefellow tour. My boys have a favorite line for this song. They were subjected to this album a lot this week. <laughs> they like driving along, looking out the windows, didn't see any buffalo there. Yeah, it's, it's a good line. Yeah, it seems to be quite um, an American-focused song, at least in, in that first verse. Yeah, Kennedy's Shadow. Mm-hmm. What are the stars of Warburton? I don't know if if they're if they are anything specific other than just being out in in the bush in the rural settings, out in the outback, looking up, being able to see the sky, see the stars. 
kind of a retreat. Uh, you know, the stars of Warburton were waiting there for me, just kind of being a retreat from the modern world, perhaps the diesel and dust touring throughout the States kind of worked its way into this song. I imagine, you know, if they were looking out the windows for Buffalo and they didn't see them there, maybe they were doing that from the tour bus traveling through the for the through the western United States. Do you think some of this is the, the tour of the US and then contrasting that with getting back home. With getting back home. Could like be. Talking Could be. about like the wallaby stew and yeah. uh the axe on the iron bark. I'll tell you a lot of this album escaped me. I don't feel that I that I'm certain that I've got a lot of it. I also think that they're getting into that kind of songwriting that they've been doing in the past, that that they were doing in Diesel, where they just bring you stuff Mm -hmm. and they allow you to play with it in your mind. At the same time I say that, I, I realize that they have intended meaning. I don't know that they always intend for you to get it all the time. Pete has mentioned, Jim has mentioned that that the ambiguous imagery is something that they they enjoy doing so i feel that i'm a bit hopeless at trying to get some of this stuff (laughs) yeah i i just love a lot of the imagery here uh so yeah this is another uh jim and pete song and it sounds like it yeah and uh it has all that same great australian imagery Mm -hmm. that was on diesel that was on postcard uh, so it's another song for for that collection. Yeah. I, I really like this song, even though there's not a lot specific that I want to say about it musically or lyrically. I do really enjoy this song. I think this is one of my top three from the album. Mm, yeah. Yeah. As far as, as drum goes, I know I didn't mention anything for, for Blue Sky Mine. Um, something to take note is at the end, yeah. um, as they're going out, there's kind of like this extended... Rob just doing his thing, not like a drum solo or anything, just kind of doing some different things all over the place. There's a whole bunch of fills and yeah. uh yeah, it's almost to me like a drum solo, but I know what you mean. It's yeah. uh it's it's, doing little moments. It's down in the mix, it's under some other stuff. A couple musical highlights. Um the song's in B major, but the chorus is in A minor, so it's yet you know I I don't know if I have to name it on every song, but basically mm-hmm. <laughs> it just keeps changing keys. Yeah. Bones is doing his uh regular groove here. It's him playing the eighth notes and then sliding down two frets uh, a whole tone yeah and this song it's interesting normally in a, a song that's like in b major you would not include the minor seventh in it which would be like be an a normally in the scale it's a, a sharp but okay but he's emphasizing it but jim's also playing a lot or well, actually i shouldn't say jim or martin the guitars yep. are also emphasizing that All kinds of nice little guitar work in this song. All kinds of the arpeggios and little runs. There's a melody being played on the guitar underneath 
the vocal. So it's not like a solo, but it's this alternate kind of counter melody. Right on. A few times on this album, they make good use of silence, where there's complete silence just for a split second. But yeah. the whole song just stops and then gets going again. The bridge in D major, uh, over the hills and mountains we go, and the song really lifts up yeah. in like a quite a beautiful way there. Yeah, and also just uh, a lot of vocal harmonies throughout this song. Just lots of kind of sing-along kind of stuff. But again, the singability of it makes it seem like it might be a simple song structure. But actually, there's, again, there's a lot more than three or four chords going yeah, on in this yeah. song. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's good. As I first was listening through the album, Bedlam Bridge really grabbed me. Mm-hmm. But, and... <laughs> but... And and I found other songs to like more right. since. Well, Not that it's fallen out of favor, but it's just, meh, it's just one of these songs that's on the album. And and I kind of feel bad about it because I like to like all things Rob Hurst. Yeah. And this is a Rob song. Okay. And you can totally hear it's a Rob yeah. song. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Did it, did it grab you? Well, what it did was threw me back to 10 to 1 in a way because it, it really sounded like Harrisburg. Oh, yeah. Hold a second. Is Harrisburg 10 to 1 or is it Red Sails? I think it's Red Sails. Sorry. Yeah. So this really threw me back to like Red Sails because <laughs> it's almost like the, all these atmospheric sounds. Yeah. Uh, there's kind of almost that breathing from. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of weird sci-fi kind of sounds. One of my notes for this song is like that super quiet, breathy, creepy Pete groan that uh, that starts the song with. Can I play this for you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's listen to that intro. It's like talking. Voices in your head. Now listen starting now for this. This is our old friend Drum Assist. There's that pulsing going yeah, on as well. that's right. Good catch. Which, which kind of goes back to that era as well. Yeah. So in a, in a way, it's like this is one of the examples of where I think they're kind of looking back a little. Yeah. But they don't always get. They don't quite get the. Back to what we. Want them to get to. Remembered. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. fondly. I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's what I kind of feel about this song is. I was listening to it thinking, yeah, this is going to go someplace that I really like and just doesn't quite get there for me. And so maybe, yeah, it's, I was I was hearing stuff from the past that doesn't quite capture or maybe thinking that it's going to go somewhere that doesn't quite get to. So it doesn't quite fulfill. Yeah, I, I wonder if they were trying to bring it back to there, but having Warren instead of Nick mm. meant that maybe Warren kept trying to keep it in hit territory yeah funny that this was released as a single i don't know i think it's funny that it was released as a single to me it's a strange choice um now there are those we've talked before about these snare hits uh and i think there's some examples of just some single snare hits around two minutes yeah let's listen yeah crazy flags for history Songs for the White House gangsters, guns for Hellgate and Red Yeah, like the, the snare roll. Yeah, there's and a the roll and then it. a snap. Yeah. yeah. It does have an, a nice lift, but this is kind of a Rob thing. 
Uh, so house stands, the yeah. city. Uh, it's a rob course. Totally. Yeah, very much a rob yeah. course. Yeah. And then there's more what I was calling mini drum solos later in the song. I guess they're extended fills but they're yeah. they're drum highlights yeah you know, that's that's what they are where he takes his time so bedlam bridge when you think of bedlam what do you think of well mayhem i guess right yeah, like it's that's right synonymous with it's actually a, a hospital in london wow a psychiatric hospital so that's where you get like your chaos and your mayhem from but i wonder the line up on Bedlam Bridge, somebody is waiting. What do you think they're waiting for? I do not know. I wonder if this is somebody who's thinking they're, they're going to end it. Mm. They're up there and they're at this point. Am I, am I going to jump at this point? Or is something else coming along and I'm, was it, I'm shot to heaven? Yeah. I think that this song might be just about, and, and we were even, as we were listening to the intro there, we were talking about those voices in the intro, and I was pointing up to the brain, you know, like, are those the voices in my head? Is this a, a song perhaps about mental illness, or if not mental illness, just about going through hard times and, and doubting yourself and, and wondering what to do and getting yourself in an extreme situation and hopefully getting back down off that bridge? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lyrically, I find I really do like this song. Mm-hmm. Because it's got uh, so many, I don't know, I think they're great lines. Yeah. You know, canyons full of movie stars, yeah. churches made of metal, mountains made of muscle. I love that line, mountains yeah. made of muscle. Yeah. I love that image. Yeah. Yeah, in these locked and shackled neighborhoods, bridge, bridge and, and tunnel, tunnel diplomats. diplomats. That's another great one, Yeah, eh? and uh, crazy flags from history, songs for the White House gangsters. And that was the name of one of the mixtapes that yeah, we got from way the back. Powderworks group. Yeah, yeah, back in the early 90s. Yeah, that's an awesome line for that. So do you think that this song is talking about the big city and I'm thinking America, New York, and consumerism and the drive to success? That's kind of what I'm, I'm pulling out of those type of lyrics that may be leading a person to a, a state of despair. The song ends with the lyrics, drive, drive the engines harder. Is that like ambition? or somebody thinking, oh, I've got to keep on working harder. Like, I, I don't think that it's a happy kind of statement there at the end. Yeah. You know, keep working, keep earning money so that you can buy more, that kind of thing. Yeah, is it, is it kind of like a dream world kind of reference again? Or mm. um, sort of sounded like those wheels must turn to yeah. be for whatever reason. Yeah, yep. yeah, for sure. There's a lot of good stuff to mine out of yeah. that song. Lyrically, I think it's excellent. And musically, I kind of like it, but it just doesn't quite do yeah. what it could. Yeah. Yeah. It might be a theme where if Rob was, had brought the song to Nick or, or Jim or Jim and they had done a bit more. Yeah. Uh, it really could have. Maybe if they had like a different time signature thrown in here every <laughs> once in a while. So have there been no time signature changes yet? N- nothing that I noticed on the album. Okay. I don't know if you noticed anything. I, well, never. I yeah. never noticed these things. Yeah. Uh, eh. It's not that interesting of an album to me, drum-wise. Right. Drum-wise. Yeah. You know, there's a few neat things here and there, but 
nothing that that stands out and says, "Wow, that was fantastic." Yeah, yeah. So this is the only on this album. Yeah, the only what do we call these joined? Why well, can't I think of the word? Yeah, there's or, a, it's a medley. <laughs> it's not a medley. <laughs> yeah, what's the word that we use though? Yeah, where you just keep on going, keep yeah. on trucking. Well, the oils do it most albums. I oh, think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this one, this is really obvious with those street sounds, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. There's this traffic that, that comes in. People chatting in those, in those, uh, canyons full of movie stars. Like I, when canyons full of movie stars and stuff like that, I'm thinking, yeah, those are skyscrapers and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Those, those narrow streets, tall buildings. I think so. Yeah. So there's the traffic. And then interestingly, uh, there's a car horn. Yes. And then yeah. on the keyboard, they make a sound very similar. Yep. That then bends. Yes. Yeah. Really nice. Wait, and did I mention that Bedlam Bridge had the verses are in D major and the choruses are in B minor? And Forgotten Years, that swapped. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, and uh, Forgotten Years is a Hearst and Jim song. Yes, it is. So one connection between these songs is that they're basically in the same two keys. And, and D major and B minor, are, it's called the, the relative minor, B minor. So anyway, they're in related keys, but they've swapped. That's really and, neat. Yeah, so is there a thematic connection between these? Forgetting, forgetting, forgetting years, forgotten years, um, to me is, is, well, here in Canada, we have Remembrance Day yep. on November 11th. Yep. And in Australia, they have Armistice Day. Yep. And there's also Anzac Day. So, um, forgotten years seems, well, obviously yeah. about, about war. Yeah. Pete and, says it's got its place in that sort of blossom and blood, slightly more serious, somber type song yeah it's 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 their armistice day for this album yeah and again it's a fairly i would like to say sophisticated view of war but it's it's i think an understanding one where war isn't simple and just calling for peace in a simple way that stop fighting stop fighting come on you guys can't you just get along yeah so understanding the the complexities of war and the complex uh effects of war and the impact on people i made a mistake earlier in the show um when i said that blue sky mine came from a couple different songs one was called drought and then it changed to the song called jacob's ladder oh yeah i was thinking about uh, forgotten Years. Yes, Blue Sky Mine came from Drought, but Forgotten Years came from a Rob song called Prayer for Peace mm. that morphed into Jacob's Ladder that eventually became Forgotten Years. Wow. So it was a Jim song for Blue Sky Mine called Drought that he brought this 12-year-old song that eventually became Blue Sky Mine. Yeah. yeah. The video for this song is very striking. Yes. Uh, filmed, I in believe, all in black and cemetery. white. Yeah. Yeah. A, a French cemetery and all in black and white. Mm-hmm. And everybody's uh, really dressed up like uh, 
like Rob's playing the drums almost like I want to say a suit, but yeah. in, in like a he's got like one of those mandarin collars or something. Yeah, going and like on. An over, and they're kind of wearing overcoats or something. Yeah, like they're, they're yeah, all that's right. Um, and a lot of helicopter flyby type things. Yeah, and they they must have gotten special permission and had to do their best to be respectful yep, of, of where sure. they were. So here here's another rock song. Yep. Is there a guitar solo in this song? It's almost like Jim and Martin are trading off there a little bit. Yeah, and it's interesting. They go to, uh, that's over a B minor, but they actually play a B major chord uh, during that solo. Okay. Which is kind of neat. And you hear Pete singing under. Did you go... Yeah, yeah, I heard him making some noise. Yeah, so that's kind of like rant terror. That's kind of old school Pete stuff there. Yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of good arpeggios. This is kind of a strummy song, but... This might be the most guitar distortion we hear mm-hmm. in the whole album, where you actually hear yep. electric guitars with a bit of some crunch bite to, to them. them. Yep, yeah, a bit of bite for to sure. Them. Yeah, in in that solo area that we were just listening to, I'm going to presume that it was Jim has kind of that soaring, clean tone going through, and then you've got Martin with the kind of the more crunchy, growly, almost rhythmy type thing yeah, coming in through I the back. Yeah, I would guess so. That's right. Although Martin more often ends up with the clean tone, but, mm. but you could be right. Yeah. Yeah. What do we know? Well, this whole album has all kinds of arpeggios and all kinds of runs. Arpeggios, again, are, are a chord where you play each note individually. Mm-hmm. And uh, both Jim and uh, Martin are experts at kind of doing these meandering playing arpeggios you're playing passing notes they're they're kind of creating a melody out of the chords yeah and uh there's a lot of that good stuff going on here this is a song where we get some of the thunder drums happening get some some fun tom rolls towards the end and then there's even this one section just at the end of the third minute where rob plays in in it's not a double time, but it's it's more of an urgent kind of. Uh, he picks up. He doesn't pick up the beat. He just starts accenting every beat. Is that like halftime? Is that could yeah? We, could we call it halftime? I, or? I often get that mixed up. And yeah. when I say, "Oh, I, I want to play double time here," I probably mean is I want to play half time here. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, and everybody starts playing like almost like quarter note, like everybody's boom, boom. Yeah, bom, it's a very bom. choppy, choppy, choppy yeah. kind of sound coming in there yeah. to emphasize things. Some fun rhythm happening. That's right. And it's right good before that, uh, right before that, Pete does a, a big scream. Uh, this album has a fair bit of screaming on it. Right near the end of the song, they switch to B major instead of B minor as a. The actual key change, which gives it, again, that more hopeful, uplifting kind of sound to it. And Pete even goes right up into his falsetto, which I don't think we heard any of on Diesel. One last thing for Forgotten Years. I think this might be my favorite bass song, at least of the fast ones. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, at least of the fast ones. Yeah, at least of the fast songs. There are all kinds of nice little good fills, good slide.
Listen to that bass sliding around. Just notice how he slides around and how he does little runs and stuff. It's it's bone style. It's not Giffo. Now, I think we've made slight references to it already. Did, did you have anything else to say about no, the song? No, but I was wondering, is this is this the treat that you've got for me? <laughs> so, I don't know if it's made it through the edits, but we may have already made a, a reference to the forgetting years <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Now, okay, I, I want to clarify that I am not at all making light. This song's about a yeah a serious, heavy topic. Yep. And actually, <laughs> so I, I think I I mentioned how Darren and I were learning guitar when this album came out. Yeah. And uh, for a long time, I think two of our favorite bands or groups have been Midnight Oil, and another one has been Neil Young. Yeah. And Neil Young's songs are overall a lot easier to play. Yeah. Uh, they're really strummy sing-along kind of songs a lot of them yeah where a guy with an acoustic guitar and four chords can play a lot of neil young songs yeah so one evening darren and i were sitting around this was 93 we we're probably about 20 years old yeah and we got into the guitar late yeah we did we did like yeah. it was the end of high school yeah we tried doing guitar at the end of i tried doing guitar at the end of high school and never had one lesson yeah and you can tell and you can tell i quickly dropped the guitar and then I got into drums. Just focused on drums, yeah. yeah. And, but I did pick up a, a guitar um, early on in university and taught myself chords. And yeah. and yeah, I became kind of like a country. I played the open chords and yeah, yeah just strummed along. Yeah, and I, I might have gone a little further with oh, you yeah. on the guitar. Okay. Yep. Uh, but both of us got at it late. We were yeah. kind of getting into guitar when we were 19 and 20 years old yep. instead of when we were 14 yep. or whatever. Yeah, and we're self-taught or f- we had a bunch of friends that played guitar. It seemed like everybody played guitar in the early 90s, and so yeah. we would try to learn things from other people who were a bit more advanced than That's us. That's right. So just to set the scene, Darren and I are sitting around playing the songs we know, and we happen to be recording them, and we did a bunch of Neil Young songs yep. in this evening, and I had the Midnight Oil songbook, but Midnight Oil songs, even these str- these simple strummy these songs, campfire songs, these campfire songs, are way more difficult songs. Oh, yeah. Yes. And so the only one, Forgotten Years, seemed like one I could we could kind of do. We had yep. the chords in front of us. Yep. Oh, and then this happened. How about we just give them a little taste of it in the podcast? Not enough to make them stop. Vomit or, or run stop away. Listening. Yes, yes, stop listening. And then we'll put the whole thing in the show notes for those who are into pain. Who, who want to experience <laughs> this. Okay, so, so Darren... Here it is. This is me and you 20, almost 25 years ago, sitting around. And this is what we, this is what we did. Oh, I forgot that we did two guitar parts. Being Hearts have been clenched if this too long. A son's need never be soldiers. <laughs> My daughters will never need guns. These are the years between. These are the years that were hard fought and won. Now contracts torn at the edges. Old signatures stained with tears. Seasons of war and peace. These should not be forgotten years Still it aches like tetanus 
Nailed that. It reeks of politics. How many things remain? This is the feeling to charge and contain the hardest years, the darkest years, the rolling years, the fallen years. Speaking of golden tones. These should not be forgotten years. Years of years. Desperate, but we will remember. No, forgot the forget years. <laughs> That was, I forgot that we had two guitars going on there. Yeah. So, so what do you think you were playing? What do you think I was playing? I you would, must have been playing the arpeggios. I don't know. I would like to think I was playing the boring but solid acoustic <laughs> rhythm. Is that what you would call that? <laughs> Compared to the electric playing on oh, that. Oh, man. But yeah. basically, yeah. It was one of us on acoustic guitar and one of us on electric guitar. And then singing along. Would that be like your old Ibanez uh, knockoff Les well, Paul? My El Degas. Oh, yeah, your El Degas. The El Degas. Uh, I don't know if I had that that early. It might have been even your old Tony. Oh, some... I don't think so. No? That red one? Yeah. Yeah. Or at least Tony the Amp. It was probably Tony the yeah. Amp. Uh, there's a cover of Harvest Moon on there where I remember I learned the acoustic guitar part pretty accurately yeah. and fairly yeah. well. Yeah. And then you play the harmonics, but you play them super disturbed. So it's like, ding, 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 boom. <laughs> and did I have like brushes? Did, did we do any drumming for this? Was this multi-tracked? Was any, it was sort of multi-tracked, but. Like, was it like the old four track? Brian's yeah, old four track or something? I think something? so. It's. It's just really horrible. Or so you I, had that two plus two. Well, do you think we use that for this? Maybe. Maybe we did. Yeah. So, so at the end there, when you play back, the forgotten, not and forget, the, and then the forgotten years, the forgotten years, and then we're just starting the next song. I go, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to pick out of there, but I heard it. Yeah, yeah. Did uh, we do that and then send it to our friend who was like working at Chalk River or something for a yeah, argue, placement? Supposedly we turned the, we turned this into a birthday present for him. We, we record these horrible covers. <laughs> All our attempts at music. This is our good friend Ron, who actually was like a really good piano yep. uh, player who was in grade like six, seven, eight, or oh, whatever yeah. for piano. He was accomplished, and we would come in with our. We'd show up at his house with our. <laughs> hey, Ron, we got a band now. <laughs> Here's our guitar and here's bass. We just made him laugh yep. all the time. Mm. Uh, so we, we record these terrible songs for him. So my I played this for my children today. So we went through all these Neil Young covers. There's, it's This is 14, 15 minutes of pain. And that Forgetting Years is near the end. Yep. My kids thought it was hilarious, especially my more musically able. They listened to all these horrible covers their dad and his friend did, you know, 25 years ago. To them, it was all awful, but hilarious. Yep. They were laughing. Oh, that's good. And then at the end of this one, though, I say, that was terrible. And she's like, why did you wait? Why did you only say that was terrible after that song? <laughs> the other it's ones like, were terrible, the, the, they too, were, Dad. It was all terrible. I said, well, that was a, a special kind of terrible. <laughs> Mountains of Burma. The Road to Mandalay. Yeah. So is this just... Kind of a 
one of those this is a rob song does it sound like a rob it, song this to you sounds like a rob song this is like and i think it's a little bit more successful than bedlam bridge yeah it sound does it, it sound musically or like at least it's got the singingly like a rob song as well as lyrically like a rob song yeah and it's it's just it's got that moodiness yeah again uh that bedlam had Mm-hmm. But somehow I, I buy this one better. Do you mind if I take a stab at it first? Go for, go for it. I do not know what the song is about. Okay. But I'll give you my my take out of it, and you can you can set me straight afterwards. I think that this is a song about looking back to former days when people were um, more active in their protest. The things in the lyrics that stand out to me. So. The first verse talks about taking all the resources out of Australia that you can get and leaving it empty. If, if not Australia specifically, just gouging the earth for, for all it can give you without any thought towards the future. Um, the second verse is kind of asking the question, you know, will we stand up for what it's right? Um, and then it throws out a lot of these kind of protesty type references. Um, talks about the Reaper Bond, which is where the Beatles used to play which is kind of counterculture area of berlin it talks about well the sons of solidarity still march on may day well the sisters of the 70s still fight for equal pay yeah that's it yeah no more blankets handed out for land so that again is is talking about injustices that yeah should be stood I up mean, against it's, it's really blatant here we feed an economy yeah that's got blood on its hands the mountains of burma okay again i'm just taking a quick stab at this set me straight Mountains of Burma, uh, the capital city is Mandalay. Burma, which is now called Myanmar, was, it was a British colony, was the capital city, the kind of the cultural capital, but also the capital of the, the resistance, the protest against uh, the British occupation, uh, colonial rule of the country. Maybe it's kind of feeding into that whole standing up for what is right, doing the right thing. Yeah, so... Even though this is the mountains of Burma, mm-hmm. all the verses are about Australian yep. situations, right? Or, yeah. or mostly. Not well, it could be, yeah. yeah. Are, are the are the blankets, is that is that an Australian type thing? Or I was thinking of the European settlers coming to North America, trading blankets for trinkets and giving the yeah. indigenous population disease and stuff like that. That's right. I, I don't know if that happened in Australia as well, mm. um, but yeah. That's right. It's the first verse because they're talking about the Tucker Box and Kelly's yeah, country. Yeah. That sounds like Australia. Definitely. I, I guess the second verse is looking internationally. Mm-hmm. But then then it returns to the mountains of Burma. Yeah. Now, why is that light years away? Light years away from... What's happening now? What's happening now. Or yeah. it's so, so different. Like you were saying, what happened in Burma... Yeah, it's it's no longer occupied by the British. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so is it like what happened in Burma is what should be happening here or elsewhere? You know, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know my history well enough to say yes. In fact, I, I don't think things worked out very well. Yeah. So I'm just grasping for the, the idea that they were at least fighting back. Yeah. As I said, a lot of this album goes over my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even that, uh, pack your bags full of guns and ammunition, bills fall due for the Industrial Revolution. Scorch the earth till the earth surrenders. So I actually like, lyrically, sometimes it's Mm heavy-handed, 
Uh, and I think Rob tends to be that way a bit more often, a yep. bit, bit uh, should we say too literal or too obtuse? Like, his message is obtuse, but sometimes the words are just very uh, scorch, he, scorch the earth till the earth surrenders is not a mysterious statement. I wonder, is that a good thing mean? or a bad yeah. thing? Yeah. So, so I am saying it's very blunt. Yeah. And therefore not very literary. Right. But his overall intention is still kind of disguised. Yeah. And that's that's okay. Yeah. What what I mean is it's it's okay to not get it all first listen through or twentieth listen through or, <laughs> or whatever it is. Twenty eight years later twenty seven years later. To be able to still turn over the images in your mind yeah. and 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 either grasp for some sort of meaning or to find new meaning in it or more depth to it. Yeah. Arguably that's the mark of good songwriting. Yeah. This whole album I'm I am reminded of how much I like a lot of this imagery. This stuff struck me. We were just finishing high school yep. as this came out and then we took this with us to university um as we arguably got exposed to more ideas at university yep. and and so on and started to to understand a bit more of the world but i think we carried this with us and while i should speak for you both you and i have a conservative bent to us can we say that yeah sure yeah politically or, or whatever sorry i've just got to park my car in the garage here got the hot rod <laughs> oh now you're back gotta, where were you driving the hot rod around gotta burn some fossil fuels there <laughs> my conservative politics <laughs> I think the oils have always been there for us to give us a bigger picture of the world and for us not to get wrapped yeah. up in our own, yep. you know, I think this is how the world should be, yep. you know, like, or boy, the world was good before or whatever. Yep. And this reminds us of how, when we're trying to seek what's, what's good, looking at history, considering the world from other points of views, yep. the oils were always bringing that to us, even if they weren't always right or always perfect in how they are bringing it to us. They were, mm -hmm. I think they were doing a good thing yeah. in yeah. Uh, waking us up to, to all these other issues, to, to the treatment of people, to yeah. the treatment of the earth. You know, it's been good. And so a lot of these, these lyrics have always stuck with me. There are some things, probably particularly from this album, that, mm -hmm. that whenever somebody says a couple words... I automatically follow with Oil's lyrics, at least in my head, if not out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th this song's also uh, a D major, but it has the borrowed chord of F in it, what we can call the borrowed chord. Normally D major, you'd have like D major, and then, uh, of course, G, G and A mm -hmm. are your main chords, and then you'd have minor, like B minor yep. and E minor. But when you throw an F major in... That's what you'd expect to be minor, but it really pulls the song and it gives it kind of that eerie, part of the eerie sound mm, yeah. is, is do that. Yeah. Something that I, that I enjoy about some of the songs on Blue Sky Mining that get even more realized in Earth, Sun and Moon is the, the spacey, eerie, almost hippie kind of sounds that we're hearing here. And yeah. Yeah. So there's some interesting plays around with key major minor here there's a lot of great singing in the middle of the song we hear bones and rob and pete yeah. all singing together
Golden tones. You know, this album really does make some good use of Bones' uh, vocal skills. Yeah. Because we've always had Rob to do those higher parts, but now Bones can even hit them. Yeah. Really hit it. Really, really, a really strong, full, high voice from Bones. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to get that. We'll really hear that in one country later on. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this really great uh, keyboard sound. I don't know if it's a, a Moog or even has a little bit of a theremin feel to it, but it, I don't think it is a theremin at all. In the mountains of Burma, the road to Mandalay. In the mountains of Burma. You know how some of the keyboards in Diesel and Dust bothered you because I really dated yes, the album? that's right, Darren. Do they do the same thing for you, particularly in Mountains of Sur- Burma? Surprisingly, no. Somehow these keyboard choices throughout the album just seem more tasteful or more timeless yep including this weird i love this weird keyboard whatever it is cool yeah uh i want lots of it okay and garrett gets not one not two not three four really good screams in on this song yeah so look out for those in my super cut okay (laughs) you want to say something about them and and they're not so much like these they're the wounded animal type screams as opposed to the angry madman type screams. Yeah, he's not... Because we have different categories for Peter Garrett screams. Yeah, we really should uh, finish up that date- database of them, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yes. And uh, so and there's all kinds of strings going on. This is a big finish. This, I would argue, is a kind of a 1098 kind of song as well. Hmm. Again, I don't think... It, the atmospheric-ness. Yeah, but just the atmosphere, the arrangement yep. uh, is, is a bit of that. Okay. Are you done? I'm finally done. Is this done. your favorite song on the album? Because you've been talking about it forever. <sighs> Have I ever? I don't know. I don't even know what my favorite song is. I I'm not sure what mine is either. Yeah, okay. I think I'm going to save it for one of these later songs. Side two. Congratulations, listener. You've made it all the way through side one of Blue Sky Mining. Rob and I are going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back with the second half of our discussion of Blue Sky Mining in the next podcast. You can get in touch with us on the Twitter at Darren the Folds and at Robin Harbron. Show notes are online at darrenfolds.com slash podcasts. Thanks to everybody who's already subscribed to Comfortable Place on the Couch. If you want to help out some more, please leave a review on iTunes and Google Play Music. So, for Robin Harbin, I'm Darren Folds. Good night. Good night.